Hello, and welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. My name is Jessica, and I am your host today. And our founding pastor, John Smith, who happens to be my dad, is here today teaching. And I'm so glad that you are here. And before we go on, check out the show notes when you have a chance. There is a link to our gather page, which can be found at crossroadscolorado.com slash gather. And on that gather page, you will find all sorts of information. Things like a link to our e-newsletter called The Feed, ways to give, ways to get involved in supporting Ukraine, and also message notes to today's talk. There are PDF versions that are already filled out, or you may want to print it out and use the fill-ins. So here comes John with the message today, and he will send us out with a blessing. Welcome everybody to Crossroads also. Good seeing everybody here and everyone joining us online. And I want to remind everybody that in two weeks, March 27th, is actually Katie Martinez, who was just up here. It's her last week on the staff here at Crossroads. And Katie has served faithfully for 13 years on our staff, and then some years as a volunteer before that. And uh, I can speak for having worked with Katie all of, just about all of those years uh, about her dedication and her leadership in many areas of the church that we are all grateful for and we've all benefited from. And her teaching gift, her writing gift, leadership gift has made uh, an incredible contribution here to our church and uh, for 13 years. And the Martinez family's not moving away, not going to another church or anything, but just transitioning off being on the staff here. And on March 27th, Katie, aren't you giving the message also? Giving the message that last week? Then there'll be a reception afterwards. We want to invite everybody to that. Spread the word, people that aren't here or aren't watching, because there'll be many that want to be here to say thank you to Katie, and we'll be here to say thank you to her, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful Katie Martinez uh, weekend on March 27th, and I know some of you are wondering, will there be a sheet cake, and uh, <laughs> there will at least be something that good, we're not promising that, but make sure you're here to say thank you to Katie for that, okay? Okay, let's jump in. We're in the third week of a series called Living in Christ. And as you heard earlier, this is a series about the inner commitments of a Christ follower, the inner commitments of a peacemaker's life, as we say it here at Crossroads. And this series is based on the greatest talk that was ever given in the history of the world. It's Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You know, when I became a Christ follower like 40 years ago, I was so moved and inspired by the Sermon on the Mount that I memorized the whole thing, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I'm not saying, you know, anybody else should do that kind of thing. But that's the kind of impact 
that this message of Jesus had upon me personally. And I love Jesus' words. Jesus was a superb communicator. He spoke as no one else. His words were always power-packed. They were relevant. He always spoke to the fundamental issues of life and of his day. And the people were never bored. And the people, the crowds, they loved it. When I began public speaking, my wife Phyllis, she gave me good advice. She said, John, be prepared, be sincere, and then be seated. She said, have a good opening and a good closing and put them as close together as possible. Hold your applause. <laughs> you know, uh, Ryan's going to lead us in this series right up to Easter. But I remember speaking here at an Easter service one time. And a woman came down after the service. She said, John, that was the best sermon I ever heard in my life. I said, well, tell me more. Tell me more. And she said, uh, well, I don't go to church much. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't sure if it was a compliment or not. Wasn't sure. You know, I read this week, the number one phobia people have, speaking in public, public speaking. You know what number two is? Death. Imagine death is number two, public speaking is number one. You know what number three is? Death while speaking in public. I've done it many times. I hope I don't do it today. But I love Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is where he said things like, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. Don't take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before others, they will see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, where your treasure is, your heart is. And I love this. One time in it, in it he said, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And I love this part of it. When he said this, he said those words, uh, why do you notice the speck of sawdust in another person's eye when you've got a plank of wood in your own eye? Boom. And he said this one. He said, if you forgive other people their sins when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. But of all the words spoken by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and there were many, and I hope you'll read it. There were three words, three, that were especially significant in his day, and they're especially significant to us today. They're found in Matthew 5, 44. It's on the message notes there. Jesus simply said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Really, that's his challenge. That's what I'm going to talk about. Love your enemies. Really. Gandhi was endlessly fascinated by this idea as he sought to free India from the iron grip of uh, colonial Great Britain. In fact, those words of Jesus led to one of the most remarkable, nonviolent revolutions in the history of the world in India. Dr. Martin Luther King, he heard these words of Jesus. And even after he was stabbed and his home was firebombed, Dr. King refused to allow hatred and revenge-seeking to lead the civil rights movement, to motivate it. 
If you think about it, Dr. King could have tapped into an endless ocean of anger and hatred in his black followers. He could have organized the spilling of white blood all over the streets of the South. But it was Dr. It was Martin Luther, or it was Jesus' words of Matthew 5:44. Love your enemies. That led Dr. King to take a different approach with the civil rights leadership. And it was on Christmas Sunday, 1957, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, when Dr. King said these words for the very first time. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Only love, he'd say. It's all about love, Dr. King would assert. And of course, we know how to hate our enemies. I mean, we know how to hate our enemies. That's reflex. That's our default mode. Somebody mistreats us, somebody mistreats me, I'm mad. I mean, we want to get immediately. We want to hurt that other person back the way they've hurt us. I mean, that's, that's just reflex. I mean, we don't need a sermon on that. Not at all. And in fact, I think it'd be quite a stretch if Jesus would have said to his followers, you know, when someone mistreats you, you know what? Just tolerate it. Just tolerate your enemies. I think that would have been a stretch. If Jesus said to his followers, you know what? Just take as many pills as necessary, suck it up, and tolerate your enemies. But Jesus said, no. No, we're not going to change the world that way. We're not going to change the world that way. No, we got to learn. Learn to love our enemies. Well, I thought this week we'd do something that we don't do around here very often. I thought we'd say the uh, Lord's Prayer out loud together. Uh, we don't do it much, and no, no reason really, uh, I guess, when you do things routinely every week, whether it's the Lord's Prayer or even communion can be this way. Uh, it can fall into a category of mindlessness, and you're just kind of on autopilot. So we don't do it every week, but I thought we'd do it this week. And, and one of the dangers, though, of doing it all the time is falling into the category of mindlessness. And by mindlessness, you know what I mean. Like, if you ever walk into a room and uh, you get into the room and you go, you have no idea why you walked into the room? That's mindlessness. You know, or, or you're reading something in a book. You get to the bottom of the page, you go, I have no idea what I just read. Or like a guy is talking, a guy's up front talking, you kind of come awake and you go, I have no idea what that guy up there is talking about. Ever have that happen like right now, maybe? Well, uh, when we do a repetitive thing, we can not think about the words we're saying and how powerful the words are. And our minds can just go on autopilot. So I don't want us to do that. I want us to say the Lord's Prayer, and it'll be up on the screen if you don't know it. And, and I want all of us to just kind of sit back and think about what we're asking, what we're praying as we, as we say this. And think about the fact that uh, we're not saying this into empty space here in this building, but, but in fact, God is here, and God is with us. We live and move and have our being in God. And God is here, and these are not empty words. These are powerful words. And, and so if you will, uh, let's say the Lord's Prayer, the prayer Jesus taught 
in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray it together from our hearts, with all our hearts, all our minds, and actually think about what we're asking. So let's pray it together, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. And I'm going to stop this there for a second. I'm going to inter interrupt the prayer here, right here. We'll come back to it in a moment, but I'm going to interrupt it. Anybody know, without it being on the screen, if it's not, uh, what that next line is? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I mean, I mean, are you sure you want to say that? I mean, really? Think for a moment about somebody who's hurt you. Somebody who's irritated you. Maybe the most lovable person, unlovable person you could think of right now. Maybe they wounded you. The wound goes way down deep. Maybe it's somebody at work. Somebody at school. Maybe it's, maybe it's somebody in your family. Somebody at church. Something that happened a long, long time ago. I mean, what we're praying at this moment, on this line in the Lord's Prayer, you know what we're saying? We're saying, God, I want you to say, have the same attitude towards me that I have towards that person. The same person, that person that mistreated me. I want you to have that same attitude towards me. I want you, God, to think and feel and act towards me the way I think and act and feel towards that other person. God, forgive me my sins the way I forgive people that have sinned against me. Personally, those are scary words to me. Those are scary words to me. And if I'm being honest and uh, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, Ryan asked me to speak on this subject, but I thought, oh wow, I wrestle with this topic more than I wrestle with any topic that's even talked about here at Crossroads. I mean, this is not easy. I need help with this one, like I think many of us do. Loving our enemies. I mean, this is difficult stuff. Very difficult. In fact, there's no record of any other religious leader ever having articulated such a clear command to his followers to have compassion on their enemies. And when Jesus said, love, love your enemies, that's exactly what he meant. Love your enemies. And today I want to look at, you know, exactly. What, what do we think Jesus was saying? And how can we apply it to our life? That's what I want to do. You know, I've always heard that there's six questions you can ask about any given subject. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. And if you answer those questions about any subject, you have a well-rounded idea of what that is all about. And so I thought we'd do that with what Jesus said about love your enemies. And so I'm going to begin with the who question. And if you take notes, you can write this down. But who are my enemies, you would ask yourself. Who are my enemies? And of course, when I think of that immediately, what did I think of? I thought the Russian military. You know, how many people are loving them right now? How many people love Putin right now? You know, not the Russian people, and many are courageously protesting, but 
How many people love Putin and the Russian military? I agree if you go, yeah, I have trouble with that. Oh, what about ISIS, Al-Qaeda? They're still around. Other militant groups. I mean, do you love uh, that person, the last person who shot up a school or a mall or a, a church? No, I'm with you on that one. This question or this statement, love your enemies? I think love your enemies, this may be perhaps the most unreasonable thing Jesus ever said. I think this might be the craziest thing he's ever said. I go, love your enemies. Come on, come on. But then when I think, let's bring it closer to home here. Let's bring it closer to home and think about, uh, let's use the word, our adversaries, our opponents. I think we all have them. Here in this room, I think most of us do. In northern Colorado, you're watching online from all over. I think we have adversaries. We have opponents to one degree that we feel some animosity towards, you know. And I'm not trying to start trouble with anybody by saying this. I'm not trying to start trouble. But who are those people in your life? Who can't you stand? Really, who can't you stand? You know, right now. I, w- I wish we could uh, rip the thoughts out of your head right now and put them up on the screen. You know, who can't you stand? Who do you wish you could vote off the island because they, you know, you, they just annoy you to no end? Kansas City Chiefs fans? Huh? Raiders fans? Raiders fans? Oh, I'm with you on that one. It'll take a lifetime. Going to be a long journey for me to love Raiders fans. Yeah. Some of you see Democrats on TV, you go, I hate Democrats. Some of you see Republicans on TV, you go, I hate Republicans. What about slow drivers? Politicians? Lawyers? What about those people on food stamps taking advantage of the system, spending your money? What about rich people? Anybody hate rich people? Who can't you stand? You know, I I admit, I admit, I used to look down upon anyone not from Chicago. I did. I'm not proud of it. It took me a long time to quit that. I did. I just felt sorry for anybody not from Chicago. Some of you hear somebody speak with a certain accent. You go, I don't like people speak with that accent. Some of you see somebody with a certain ethnicity. Your parents taught you it's okay to make fun of them. Tell jokes about them. People of a certain ethnicity. Now you go, I just don't like those people. Or what about skin color? Some of you were taught by your parents that people of a certain skin color are bad people. You're just, you don't like them, but you're just doing what your parents taught you. You What about people of a certain religion? You find out they're this or that, you go, I don't like them. I don't like them. What about people still wearing masks? Or those unvaccinated people? Who can't you stand? You know, in all the years I've lived on this planet, like over 70 years, all the years I've lived on this planet, I've never seen more hate than I have in the last few years. It's tearing our world apart. We see it every day. It's tearing our country apart. 
And what's matter and worse, many circles today, it's become fashionable. It's like in vogue. Even, even people of faith, they're proud to be Joe Biden haters, Trump haters, cop haters, race haters, gay haters, undocumented haters, you know, uh, Muslim haters, Jewish haters. There's even Christian haters out there. I mean, this does not bode well for our collective future. It does not. No, hate serious stuff. Hate is serious stuff. And when we allow hate a foothold in our life, and we don't learn to love our enemies, I mean, it's never satisfied till it takes over our whole heart, our whole life, that hate. It's serious stuff. But we all have adversaries. We have enemies. In fact, let me press you a little further. Just bring a name to your mind. Bring a picture of somebody to your mind right now when I say, who are your adversaries? So that this talk doesn't remain in the realm of the hypothetical. Let's think of someone, okay? Here's second question, the what question. You know, what do you need to do? What's Jesus asking you to do or me to do? That person we brought to mind, what is it? I mean, you're supposed to become best friends if you love your enemies? Golfing partners? Is that what you're supposed to do? Add them to your Christmas list? Go on a cruise with them? You know? Invite them to one of those places where you paint pictures and drink wine? You know, treat them like a son? Treat them like a daughter? You know, what's he asking us to do? Jesus was specific when he chose the word love. Very specific. And the word that he chose did not imply an emotion. Eros like a romantic love. And it wasn't phileo, like a brotherly love, a family kind of love. That was not the word. The word that Jesus chose does not suggest an emotion. In fact, that word suggested an attitude and an action. That's what the word meant. Attitude and action. And as difficult as it sounds, he's calling us to have a humble, servant-like attitude towards people that are our adversaries. To have that attitude towards other people that they not, don't necessarily have towards us. It's an attitude that says, you know, I want the best for them. I do. I want the best for them. To have a sense of goodwill towards them. To offer them help if, if that would be appropriate. And you could do that. Even though they lack that same attitude towards you. That's what he's saying. Pray for their welfare. Pray for their well-being. Technically, Jesus is not even asking us to like the person. Liking somebody would require an emotion or some kind of feeling. This is an attitude in action. In fact, a lot of studies have been done on whether or not you like somebody. You know, and the number one factor is whether you like someone or not. It's not their talent, not their personality. It's not how funny they are. It's not their, uh, you know, any of those kinds of, the physical attractiveness. The number one factor that determines whether you like someone or not, it's whether they like you. If they like you, you like them. I mean, that's just the way it goes. They like you, you like them. That's it. That's the way it is. If there's somebody that's out there, I never like them. And I find out they're saying good things about me, all of a sudden I like them. I go, man, they got more on the ball than I thought. 
Man, they got some depth to them. They've got good judgment. Wow, I didn't even know it. Yeah, yeah. You try to not like somebody that likes you. And you know what the number one factor is determining? If you do not like somebody, they don't like you. That's it. They could be a wonderful person. They don't like you, you don't like them. They could be wonderful in every respect. Mother Teresa doesn't like me, she's on my bad list. Yeah, God's not that way though. This is, what is, this is where it gets crazy for us and it's so hard for us to understand. God is not that way. We project all our stuff onto God. You know, somebody, some people sit back, they're comfortable. They go, wow, isn't it amazing? God loves and hates all the same people I do. That's projecting our stuff onto God. Because the fact is, God loves all people. Everybody, every human being has a divine DNA created in the image of God. God loves people that love God back. God loves people that don't love God. God just loves people, loves people. And that old cliche is true. You could never do anything that would cause God love, to love you more than God does right now. You could never do anything to cause God to love you less than God does right now. God just loves people. And God doesn't do it because God, you know, because it's God. God doesn't say, oh man, I gotta, man, it's tough being God. I gotta love all these people. Wish I didn't have to do it. Dang. No. God loves all people. God is love. God loves all people. God wants us to love all people. It's the only thing that has life to it. That's it. It's the only way to have life. That's it. That's it. In fact, the Bible says this, Romans 5, 8. Paul said, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. I like how Ryan says it. While we were wounding ourselves and others, Christ died for us. God showed his love for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. God's response to our rebellion and negativity and all of that, not to declare war on us as God's enemies, no. God extends mercy. God extends mercy, grace, forgiveness to us. And God wants us to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness to others, others who have crossed us. So if you're thinking of that person in your mind and kind of understand it a little bit about, you know, what's Jesus asking us to do? Have this attitude, take action. Why? Why? Why would Jesus say this? What are the, you know, are there benefits to this? And there are. There's many. I'm going to mention two. You know, why should I, here's the question, why should I return goodwill for bad will, goodwill for ill will? Why should I do that? A couple reasons. One, hatred messes with your mind. I mean, psychologically, you know, it's not a good thing. Not at all. Resentment makes, makes you miserable. You know, nothing tortures a life more than resentment. It messes with our mind. 
Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as a person thinks within themselves, so that person is. In other words, people that entertain bitter thoughts and angry attitudes towards someone, their enemy, their adversary, they often become bitter, angry people themselves. Yeah. They become hostages of their own hate. They don't hold a grudge. The grudge holds them. I've been a Christ follower over 40 years, as I said. Pastor many of those years. I've talked to hundreds of people. Nothing messes people up more than not being able to let go of something that happened in their past. Often many, many years ago. Instead, they hold on to the resentment, the grudge, holding on to the bitterness, and it's eating them alive. Nothing will mess you up more than not being able to let go of a hurt. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that at all. But extending forgiveness and mercy, not by, I mean, being able to extend that to an enemy, that helps us heal psychologically. And I'll give you a second reason why this is a good idea. And I think we've all seen enough scientific studies to know that bottled up anger and hostility doesn't just mess with our mind, threatens our very lives. Threatens our very lives. Scientists have found, this is a Stanford study, uh, chronic anger, bitter hostility towards someone can be more toxic to the human body than smoking cigarettes, being overweight, eating a high-fat diet. Stanford researchers even said there can be a link to carrying a grudge to higher levels of diabetes, diabetes and cancer. There's a physical cost, physical cost to holding on to that anger towards someone that's hurt us. Somebody says that person's a pain in the neck. Well, they probably are. I mean, that could be why you got a pain in your neck. Could be. Holding on to resentment and anger, holding on to it. You got a pain in your neck because of that, or maybe you got a pain somewhere else because of that. You know, down the spinal column and <laughs> south of the equator in the Western Hemisphere. You're saying they're a pain. Well, it's probably true. Maybe you're not letting go of resentment and bitterness and anger. Look at what Job says, Job 21. Some people stay healthy till the day they die. They die happy and at ease. Others have no happiness at all. They live and die with bitter hearts. How'd you like that on your tombstone? He died, she died with a bitter heart. If you forgive, if we learn to forgive, we're better off. Happy people forgive. I mean, you think about it, who wouldn't be better off? not walking around with a lot of resentment and anger, head full of negativity towards something or someone, someone that did something in the past. And forgiveness is not easy. And I'm not giving a whole talk on forgiveness, but you know, forgiveness is not condoning what someone did. It's not reestablishing a relationship necessarily with someone. It's nothing to do with, you know, a, uh, somebody taking back an abusive person in their life. No, I'm not saying that at all. And that's not what this is, this is saying. In fact, that 
the most common New Testament word for forgiveness? You can write this down. It means to release yourself. Forgiveness, it's releasing yourself, freeing yourself. Forgiveness is the only choice to set us free. It's not easy, it's essential for going on in a world where people hurt each other, where people do things to one another, animals don't do to each other. It's the only choice that can set us free. And if you go, you know what, I just can't do it. Then you start asking yourself, why do I want to hold on to that negativity? Why do I want to? What is it? I mean, there's psychological benefits, there's physical benefits, as I've said. And maybe now it's time we go to, we'll just jump to the how question, number four. This is a big one. God told us to love our enemies, and there's these benefits to extending mercy and forgiveness. You know, number four, how do we do it in practical terms? How do you actually love some, an, an adversary in practical terms? First thing, first thing we do, we begin with praying. We pray for them. In Matthew 5.44, when Jesus said, love your enemies, then he said, pray for those who persecute you. We pray for our enemies. Pray for our adversaries. We pray for President Biden. We pray for President Zelensky. But we also pray for Putin. We do. And I'm not talking about, God, please give them what they got coming. <laughs> not that kind of prayer. But I also don't mean, and I, I could be wrong, but I also don't mean you spend an hour on your knees every night asking God to pour blessing upon blessing upon that adversary. You know, maybe I'm just not there yet for that. But the, we, when we love our enemies, we give up the quest to get even. We give up the idea of wanting to retaliate. We give up the idea, the dream of wanting to see that person squirm. That's what we're doing. If you've got hate in your heart for someone, maybe your prayer starts with this. God, I hate that person. You start with that, being honest. I don't want to be that way, God. You pray for yourself. You go to God honestly, express your feelings. You know, I don't, lie. I don't, I don't feel like loving my enemy. I don't know how to love my enemy. I need help, God, with this. If you have trouble letting go your animosity, your bitterness, you tell God that. You pray, that's your prayer. You ask God to help you deal with the resentment and the hostility and the anger. Ask God to give you the capacity to love a person, a love a person that maybe you don't even like. You pray for them. Ask God to safeguard their health. Ask God to bless their family. Ask God to encourage them. And as we pray for our adversaries, something amazing happens. I think our attitude towards them, if we pray consistently for that person, I think our attitude towards them begins to change. I do. You can't pray for someone very long consistently and still hate them. I don't think we can do that. I don't think it happens. We begin to empathize with the person sometimes. We begin to understand maybe what motivated their hurt of us, and it's really true. Hurt people hurt people. And what 
What we don't transform in our lives, we transmit on other people. We do. And maybe that's what's happening with this person to us. But we want to deal with it. We want to learn to forgive and extend mercy. Because we don't want to transmit our hurt upon people that are around us. So if you got that picture, that person in your mind, you know, can you pray for their welfare? That's the question. If you can't, then you bring that to God. Ask God to give you the strength, the strength to, to moving towards being able to forgive. And here's the second thing. You take concrete action. You know, the, we pray for that person in practical terms, how to love them. Take action to extend kindness, compassion to an enemy. In Luke 6, 27 and 28, Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, Luke said, again, Jesus' words, love your enemy. Then he said, do good to those who hate you. Your business competitor lands a contract, uh, send him a note of congratulations. Your ex falls on hard times, be generous, help if you can. You see an adversary on the side of the road, instead of just driving by, See if you can help. Pull over. I mean, these may sound outrageous. I think it's the kind of stuff God wants us to do. And it, Luke goes on in 6.28. He said, he said, bless those who curse you. So you make a commitment to end the war of, a, call a ceasefire on the war of words. You know. It means making a decision when a person sends bitter words your way. You... You fight the urge to retaliate and send bitter words back. Maybe you send no words at all. You let it go. If you type angry words, you never hit send. You don't hit send. It may sound outrageous. I think it's what God wants us to do. And you, you avoid the temptation of spreading rumors and gossip about people. I think these acts of kindness, they go a long way towards ending the animosity that we're carrying around. Inside inside ourselves. These kind of things can help free us, release us from that anger and bitterness. In fact, the Bible tells us in Luke 23, verse 34, it says, Jesus seemed to pray for his tormentors when they were driving spikes into his hands and feet. When his executioners were driving nails in his hands and feet on the cross, what did Jesus do? He looked heavenward. In Luke 23, 34, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. And if the cruel torture of the crucifixion could not silence our Lord's prayer for his enemies, what pain, what pride, what prejudice could silence our prayers for our enemies? Well, we looked at the who, you know, we brought people to mind that we have animosity towards opponents. And what we're being asked to do, what does God want us to do? Uh, have a humble, self-giving attitude towards those persons like God has towards us. And the why, you know, there's benefits. Uh, it'll mess with our mind if we don't, could threaten our very lives. And we looked at the how, how? Begin by praying, extending acts of mercy and kindness towards those that you know, we have animosity towards. And it leaves two questions. Two questions. The when and the where. 
But I'm going to reserve those for you to answer. You've got to answer those two. But as fellow peacemakers, living in Christ with God's power and presence, in our lives, in your life, you decide the when and where you're going to do this. And you're going to do it, you're going to consider doing it for your own sake. For your own sake. To free you. And for the sake of, of that other person. Sake of your family and people around you so you're not transmitting that uh, anger that you're holding towards somebody on them. And we do it for the sake of the kingdom of God. And so now I think, I think in closing we're ready to pray with all our hearts and minds the Lord's Prayer, the whole thing. And so wake up that person next to you. If they dozed off, uh, wake them up. And it's going to be up, the whole prayer will be up on the screen. And with all our hearts and all our minds and all our will. Let's pray this together. When we get to that line, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We're asking God for help right there. So let's pray it together. Out loud, everybody, full voice, the prayer that Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, let's end with the blessing like we do each week here at Crossroads. And some of us put our hands out like this. If you're comfortable, do that and receive this week's blessing. And if it's up on the screen, I'm not sure. If it is, you can read with me. If it's not, just receive it. Lord Jesus, saturate my life with power, might, and love of the Holy Spirit. May your perfect love flow through me this week. Strengthen me as I seek to follow your example and command to love all people, even ones who have wounded me. And help me to let go of any unforgiveness, thoughts of revenge, hateful attitudes, or negative emotions I have that can stifle your freedom in me. Give me wisdom as I seek how to live in Christ this week. God bless you, everybody. Thanks for being here. Come back. Ryan will be back up next week. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>